Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Vodcast. Hello, everyone. This is Rabbi Chaim Schwartz from the Vod Rabbanu Queens. Back with you on the Vodcast. Joining me today, I have a very special guest, somebody who is a member of the Vod Rabbanu Queens and also from the Orthodox Union Kashrus, Rabbi Eli Elif. Good evening, Rabbi Elif. Thank you, Rabbi Schwartz, for having me. It's a great honor and pleasure to have not only a Kashrus professional, but somebody who is part of our Vod for the past few years, and we're very honored that you're with us. My pleasure to be here. So tell us a little about yourself, Rabbi. So I've been in the Queens community, Kew Garden Sales community, for over 20 years now. Uh, back, was came here for yeshiva, basically never left. And I currently work at the OU in the Kashas department, where I'm a rabbinic coordinator overseeing uh, about 100, 200 different companies, as well as I oversee our consumer relations department, which means that when people have questions about their cautious products they're going to approach one of our various channels be it our hotline email social media our website and it's my job to make sure that the answers are consistent between all the various media as well as the answers uh, are be the questions are being answered rather when they come in so that sounds like something which is a very large task it is um, believe it or not this time of year we're in the summer already and it's a little bit easier um, but we just finished not so long ago, we finished Pesach, and then, believe me, it's things that are crazy. On an average day, we normally get about 80 to 100 phone calls and about another 50, 60 emails. Uh, before Pesach, on average, we have 200 emails a day and on average 600 phone calls a day. With one day before Pesach, we actually received 972 phone calls in one day, and that was between the hours of 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Not including people accosting you in the street. And your family texting you and calling you and asking you, hey, Rabbi, you know, am I, uh, am I allowed to eat this, that, or the other thing? My personal phone was ringing every day off the hook uh, with all sorts of text messages and emails coming through about the Pesach Shilas and food Shilas and cashing Shilas and you name it. So l- let's just talk about Pesach for a second. So personally, I have a, a WhatsApp group and uh, we, we fielded a lot of questions. And I felt myself getting in touch with you and Rabbi Nussbaum also, who I think runs the Pesach desk as well. Rabbi Nussbaum oversees our hotline. He's yeah, the hotline. hotline supervisor. Right. So, I mean, I know what I was going through and hearing what you guys go through in the, in, in the OU, uh, especially when you think of Pesach, you think of OU, you think of all the products that the OU certifies from matzah to wine to, to who knows what. And... You know, I think on behalf of Klal we probably have a responsibility to thank you and the whole staff that make this happen and, and make Pesach a reality. One thing that really strikes me when it comes to Pesach time is that the Dvar Hashem Zualacha and the Bikush of Ha'am, the Bikush of Klal to get it right is something which every year doesn't cease to amaze me. The Shilas that people have, Mikatan Ba'agadol, Mikula L'Chumra, people really, really want to do it right. I really have nothing to add to that, but you are correct. You know, when it comes to the Pesach, it's, you know, people that might not be mocked but on certain things or they never even thought about it. it comes to Pesach, it's, you know, every Chumrah is there and it's a time of year when people actually look for Chumras as opposed to the rest of the year when like, oh, Rabbi, you know, do I really need to do that? Do I have to be so machmer? But one of the things, I guess, you know, and it's a close for Kaleisos that it comes to Pesach and people really try to do whatever they can, not just what the baseline is, but really to go above and beyond. Wow, so that's that's something which uh, we share in common, and uh, I think in the conscious world, it's it's something which is 
which is a marvel for all of us to see. So uh, where, where are you from, Rabbi? Which part of my life? Born and bred, raised. Well, basically I was raised in Cleveland, Ohio, where I had this chos of having your Shver al Shalom as my principal in Rabbi Ziskin, as Rabbi Shalom Ziskin as my principal in uh, elementary school. Then I came to Kew Gardens Hills, where I went to Masif Tisad Yishern for high school, stayed for Beis Manish Arachayim, went to the Mir for a bunch of years, and then came back to Arachayim for Kailul and basically never left the neighborhood even after I went to uh, the OU. Wow. So you've been here a few years. Yeah. Very nice. We, we've seen numerous uh, pizza shops and other food establishments come and go on Main Street. <laughs> As have we. But Baruch Hashem, they're, they're well, 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 uh, well used, and I'm sure it's been there for a Thursday night or two when the Elifs uh, needed to get the kids out so Shabbos could be made by mommy. So we're happy to be able to help with that. So one of the things that uh, we wanted to discuss tonight, and uh, we get this question a lot on our WhatsApp group. We get this question a lot from people in the street, you know, neighbors, friends, countrymen, and uh, the, the, the issue of the summer shilas. So summer shilas range from all different types of shilas, from traveling and going and coming and where can I eat? Is this hashgacha good here? Is that hashgacha good there? And one of the most common questions that we all get, really all around the, the whole year, is the Slurpee Shaila. So if you could uh, help us out with that and elucidate that for us. If I'm driving down the street and let's say, I don't know, Main Street in Kew Garden Hills and I have a 7-Eleven, I don't know, on the corner of Jewel, can I just go in with my kids? I actually have to live in Kew Garden, so on Leopard's Boulevard we have one, but the Main Street one, without having to specify that one particularly, but just to get the... Bare Bones, because I know the OU gives Hashgacha on Fanta, which is a very prominent company that has flavors in Slurpee. So if you can just talk to us about, do we have to? what do we have to look for? Is it good? Is it not good? Can I go into any 7-Eleven? So that's an excellent question, and one that's uh, debated hot and hotly contested among uh, contemporary post in Rabbanim. It really depends on who you speak to. I know I was speaking to the head of a different VAD out of town where they actually certify a couple of the local 7-Elevens. And he told me that even though 7-Eleven and Coca-Cola company that produces a lot of the flavors have their own, you know, police force basically that come around to make sure that they're only using the approved syrups for the slurping machines. They've still had numerous issues with those 7-Elevens and they found that they've been using non-certified flavors and things that shouldn't have been there. And even the companies themselves were surprised that they're there. So it's something you have to be aware of. From a conscious perspective, it's a very easy thing to check. It's also a very easy thing to mess up on. Once a syrup is in the machine, it's there. But it's also the Slurpees are an easy thing to check because every Slurpee machine is hooked up via hose that goes through the walls to a back room in every 7-Eleven where there's a box that has a bag inside of it, and that bag contains the syrup. So if you can ascertain and verify that the syrups that they're using in that back room are the ones that are under Hashgacha, that would be fine. A lot of times the 7-Eleven is put out, they go online, they find some website that has a list of you know certified Slurpee flavors, which is all wonderful, but all that list is telling you is that, in theory, these syrups are certified. But you don't know what's actually inside that machine. You don't know what's actually there until you've checked in the back room. So then you can corroborate the data between that certificate that says the following syrups are acceptable and then making sure that what's in the back room is acceptable as well. So we actually recommend at the OU that if you're going to the 7-Eleven that's not under Hashkocha, you should ask them 
politely if you can take a look at the syrups in the back room and make sure that they are the ones that are under Hashgacha. Most of the Coca-Cola products in the United States, and those syrups are certified under the OU. does not require an OU, just needs to make sure that it says the Coca-Cola or the Sprite or the Fanta on the syrup containers. I'm not talking about the regular, you know, packaged beverages. I'm talking about the specific syrups that are used in Slurpees. And once you make sure that they are indeed the actual genuine Coca-Cola products, you're fine. There is one flavor of Fanta that I can't remember offhand that's actually dairy, so people need to be aware of that as well, that there's an actual milk you, you flavor. You that online, I'm assuming. Yeah. The, on the OU website, OUKosher.org, there is a list of Slurpees and Ices and which ones have Ashkachos in their status. So let me throw at you a uh, hypothetical. So you just gave a very nice uh, gather a way of telling how a Slurpee's kosher or not. And uh, I can tell you personally, I've had th- this experience. You know, uh, for many years, I lived out of town as well. Traveled between Boston and New York uh, at Muncie. My parents lived in Muncie. When I was living in the Boston, learning the Boston Kyle. And invariably, you pull off on 95 or the, or the 84 or the Mass Pike, and you go to a, a 7-Eleven, and you walk in, and there's a guy behind the counter who... You know, it might be in the middle of the night, he's just a clerk, or he even during the day, you you ask him, can I see the flavors in the back room? And he's like looking at you, you fell off the planet Mars. Can I just, here's my theoretical, can I go by the, the, the paper that's in the window above the Slurpee or on the machine? Will that work in order to ascertain that it's kosher? Can I assume that what they're telling me is actually the flavor in the machine? So that's an excellent question. The bottom line is like this, the guy behind the counter... You may know him, you might not know him. He might be a wonderful person. I have no idea. You have no idea. But the bottom line is that the establishment is not under certification. Without it being under any type of kosher certification, there's no way to actually verify what's going on behind the scenes. So therefore, we really don't recommend, unless you actually check it out yourself, or there's hashkocha on the place, to go ahead and take a look at the fountain sodas. So I did see in a publication recently that was sent around to many people through print media, where they claimed that you can assume that it's kosher because there are 7-Eleven police, and they actually did verification with 7-Eleven corporate that there are people that go on the ground to make sure that the flavors that are being used are the proprietary flavors that appear on the 7-Eleven list. Are you telling me that that might not be 100% accurate? I haven't seen this publication, and I haven't seen this article, so I can't comment one way or another. So I have not done the due diligence and looked at their sources. Uh Okay, so you're just putting out there that from your background, from your checking, and from, I guess, is this the OU? Are are we speaking for the OU? I'm speaking on behalf of the OU. I've also spoken to... A numer- numerous other Rabbanim uh, that work for other Vadim out of town that actually certify some of the 7 of those towns and they've given me told me horror stories of trying to make sure that the Slurpees were kosher that they found actual syrups that were not certified mm-hmm. okay just for the record um, the Main Street the Seven Eleven here in Kew Garden Hills does allow access to us it's not under the Vaz Ashkacha but we uh, we have an agreement with them that we can walk in at any time and Baruch we found that it's always Fanta or always the, the recommended flavors there is some flavor. Someone actually call, uh, called me up the other day. There's some other flavor, that was, which, which was not a Coca-Cola or Fanta flavor, that I'm not sure was on the Ashkacha. So, again, make sure that you check, to, you know, with... Constantly check. To make sure that, you know, the, the, all the flavors have a, some type of Ashkacha and are certified. Okay. Moving right along, you know, we're talking about the summer. Someone is going to... Uh, I actually got this question this week. Coca-Cola from Mexico. So uh, people want to know if they can buy... 
Coke from Mexico or if they're in a different country, can I just go and buy Coke? Or if I'm, I'm in another country, I'm in an airport, can I buy tea, can I buy coffee? What, what, uh, what, would, you, what would you advise travelers in such an instance? So it's a good question. I actually had this where I was on a flight, an intercontinental flight, actually international flight, where I, the only thing I could really drink on the plane was the beer. <laughs> the problem with a lot of these sodas are, despite them having the same name, they are catered towards regional preferences. The Coca-Cola that you have in the United States does not necessarily taste like the Coca-Cola that you have in China and other places. They've done market research to see what type of flavors and preferences do those cultures have. Some prefer more sweet taste, some prefer more salty taste, some prefer more savory taste. And the flavors are all tweaked in the locations where they are. It might be subtly, it might be more overt, just depends. And there's also numerous factories around the world, which are not under Hashkacha, that are manufacturing these concentrates and syrups and flavors. So... It's a good question. In the United States and Canada, all the cocoa flavors are certified. Same thing with Israel. Past that, I recommend contacting our offices for specific uh, details. So the notion that Coke, I'm just taking Coke because it's under the OU. I believe Pepsi is under a different Ashkacha, so we would have to talk to them. But the notion that Coke has the secret formula and that secret formula is being used the world over in every single Coke can, bottle, and any other instrument that they're using. So that's not necessarily correct. I mean, maybe the, the secret formula is there, but it gets tweaked. Well, if I tell you the secret formula, I have to kill you. That's right. But whatever is being added to it is not necessarily the same thing that's being used here in the States. And it's the same. It's not necessarily even specific to Coca-Cola. It's a lot of the large multinational conglomerates will tweak their main products for those regional preferences. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Just to tell you a quick story about Coke, as an aside, after my in-laws were in, uh, Rabbi Zis- the Ziskins were in Cleveland, they were in Chicago, so uh, we had the, the schus to be, uh, they were living in West Rogers Park, and I had the schus one year to dive in Rabbi Goldzweig's me, Rabbi Chaim Goldzweig, who just passed away about a year ago, who was called the super of the OU. And I was talking to him about something, and somehow Coke came up, and he said to me that nobody knows Coke what goes on except for me. And if, I don't know if you remember this, or you're old enough to remember but I do remember when Coke came to the OU. It wasn't up until recently. When I say recently, maybe 30 years. About 1990. Was it 90? So uh, 29 years ago. So the, the, uh, he said to me, the, I'll never forget what he said to me was, he said about a certain someone who had commented about Coke. He says, how would he know what goes on in Coke? I've gone lifnaiv lifnim into Coke. <laughs> I've signed 25 waivers, and he knew the secret formula. So, you know, I was so in awe of Rabbi Goldswag, I didn't have the chutzpah to ask him, and I'm sure he wouldn't have told me, but when he told me, he used that moniker, he used that expression, it was a chuckle, and he got the point across that he really, uh, it does, he, he, as a responsible and as a, uh, you know, really somebody who's thorough, knew exactly every single product, it's not a chiddush, but every single dimension of, of the Coca-Cola product he, he was aware of. And uh, the OU knew that uh, he would get to the bottom of everything I need to get there in order to give Ashkacha to that product. So you just reminded me of that story. Quite often, people are traveling. They make assumptions. And they make assumptions about this Ashkacha, that Ashkacha, and, and it's probably good for this, and it's probably good for that. Extending what you say about, if, if I see a Ashkacha on a product that in the States has, let's say, the OU, and overseas has a different Ashkacha, can I assume without knowing that Ashkacha that it's the same makeup? Is it the same... Or is that the, we're going to have the same issue that we have with Coke? We'll have, let's say, with potato chips. Let's say you'll have a company that makes potato chips in the States under the OU. In a different country, it's under Rabbi whoever it is. Would, would that be the same concern that, you know, 
we might not it might be different tastes different flavors different savories whatever it might be again a lot of times these large international outfits are producing in multiple locations not only are they catered towards visual preferences but it might be in facilities that are not certified as well a lot of times they're going to have the facilities that service the large kosher markets primarily north america and israel and parts of europe but there's the world's a lot larger than that and they don't see the need to have products certified if it's not servicing the kosher markets so in theory and this is one of the questions i get all the time is like i checked ingredients i don't see any ingredients that could possibly be a problem well, when it comes to kashas, ingredients are one component of making sure the product's kosher. The other thing is the the kalim, the equipment that it's manufactured on. So even if it's exactly the same ingredients, but it's on a line that we don't know what's on, or the line is not kosher, it automatically renders that product not kosher as well. So without ashkocha verifying the kashas of a product, even if it seems to be the same thing, it can't be recommended, which is why in today's global economy, it's so important for a consumer when you pick up that can or that package on the store shelf check for the hashgacha and even though you pick up two that are right next to each other and the labels look the same check again because there are times when they're bringing in the distributors get other products just sometimes not even supposed to be in the united states it's manufactured for export only when shopping the other day one of our local supermarkets here in queens who picked up some heinz ketchup and the entire back was in arabic and it said for export to dubai only but somehow the importer, the distributors here in the United States got a, got a hold of it, and you find it on the shelf over here. So that happened to have been under Hashkacha. But there are times when they'll be bringing in the same, looks like an identical product, and that product's not under Hashkacha. So I can't emphasize enough that it's important for everyone to check again and again when they pull any product off the shelf for the Hashkacha that's on it. That's fascinating. I never, that's, I never heard that before. I never knew this export-only factor. I've never heard about that. And I'm glad you, you brought that up. It's, it's fascinating. Um, one of the questions we I get all the time, and again, this is, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the industrial side of it. And it's, this is especially prevalent now in the summer. So you're traveling, you book, you book, a, you, book a, you check into a motel or a hotel, they give you a continental breakfast. Continental breakfast is, comes with the room, you get it for free. And especially if you're going with kids, it's, it's you know, it's, it's breakfast on the house, basically. You paid for it and... So the two questions we always get, and I wonder this myself, is the cereals, the cold cereals, and also the milk. Now, if somebody's makmenuchal v'israel, uh, as I am, so you know that that's a different ball of wax. Bring your own milk, and that's I guess that kind of answers that question. Although with allergies coming to the forefront these days, a lot of these institutions or hotels will also be able to provide soy milk if you ask for it. Really, that's yeah. interesting. Okay, soy or, or almond milk. Almond milk. Um, that, that's also a question I want to get to in a second. Actually, thank you for bringing it up. But let's say I'm in a, let's say I'm, I'm driving. Actually, let's say I'm driving to visit uh, Rabbi L's parents in Cleveland. They're and, New Jersey now. Oh, they're New Jersey. Okay, so you know your your long lost relatives in Cleveland, and some of them are actually very famous. I'm stopping off in I don't know. Uh, give me a name, Michigan or something. Well, you're going from New York. To Michigan and then back to Ohio. <laughs> is Let's, that what it is? Rabbi Schwartz, oh, no, we have to send you back to a fifth grade uh, uh, geography. Sorry, that's right. Ohio's before Michigan. That's correct. I'm stopping off somewhere in Pennsylvania, whatever. You're it is. stopping off in, you know, State Penn or Penn, you know, whatever. You know, okay, uh, state, Station, whatever, college, whatever is the right. Yeah, Penn State. So I, I off find, the 80 someplace. Uh, yeah, who knows? So I, I, uh, I, find, a, I find a milk that uh, doesn't have a OU on it. It doesn't have any Ashkach on it. So 
based on your knowledge, based on your experience, based on the psukim so, of the Rabbanim? So based on the psukim of Meisha, um, he held a chalva companies, as he writes in English Meisha, milk that's produced by the companies in the United States would not need separate hashkacha. This is not the forum to discuss all the pros, the cons, how it works. I did one time get accosted by mashkech for a different agency when I was trying to see if he could do some work for us, and he spent three and a half hours trying me to convince me that the OU should go only Chal Yisrael. But regardless, for those that are not Makman and Chal Yisrael, any type of regular milk would be acceptable in the United States. When you say regular, to the exclusion of? To the exclusion of a chocolate milk, a strawberry milk, anything with a flavor in it. But if it's just the regular, you know, the whole milk, the low-fat milk, the skim milk, any milk would be fine without Ashkacha on it. Okay. We talked about almond milk, so I get this question all the time. The almond milk, uh, the soy milk, has a D. Some have a D, some don't have a D. And I get this question all the time, and I actually tell people I refer them back to the OU, call 212-613-8241. There you go. And speak to whoever's there and ask them specifically what, the, uh, what, the, what, the, what it is. So when it says OUD on the almond milk or on the soy milk, what is it? Is it really parav? Is it not parav? Is it, is it milk kalim? And I understand that if uh, if the policy of the OU is D means D, then that, I guess that's the answer. Uh, what can you tell us? What can you not tell us? And can you enlighten on us? Or should uh, each person have in their pocket or in their phone that number and just call and ask specifically? So the best thing to do is really call our offices to double check on the status of those products because a lot of times once something is listed as an OUD is listed as a dairy product that company even if in theory now it's only dairy equipment which would mean that it's just manufactured on the dairy line but has no dairy ingredients in it since it's registered as a dairy product the company has the right to change the formulation at any given time and make it actually milchiks so we do recommend that even if our office has told you that something is dairy equipment only you should check back periodically about every three months or so to see if the status has changed at all. That being said, why would something be listed as a D? There's several reasons for that. At times, it could be because of either flavors or additives that are inside of the milk, which you won't recognize as dairy, but are indeed dairy. It happens a lot of time with coffee creamers. You'll have, we'll say on it, non-dairy creamer, O-U-D. A lot of times, those are actually dairy. The coffee creamers have in them a protein called casein, which is a derivative of the of milk. However, it does not have lactose in it. Since it doesn't have lactose in it, it has no dairy allergens. Since there's no dairy allergens in it, it's not considered a contaminant or an allergen. Therefore, the federal government was lobbied by the Dairy Council to view casein as the psilis, as the leftovers, as something which isn't dairy. And therefore, anything that has casein in it, from a legal perspective, is considered non-dairy. However, from a halachic perspective, it is 100% dairy. And that's why you'll have these non-dairy creamers that are actually milky. So again, it's important to take a look at your non-dairy creamer, especially if you're having coffee someplace, and make sure that it's actually parv, if you need a parv creamer, and not dairy. But besides for uh, the additives that you might have, also happen sometimes with flavors. A lot of these soy milks, whatever, have masking flavors, they have vanilla flavors. Those flavors, in theory, could be dairy as well. Even in situations where there are numerous soy and almond milks that are only, that really are only dairy equipment, and you can contact our offices for the list of those. The issue is that they are produced primarily in dairies, where the same pasteurizer that is running milk at hot temperatures is also running the soy milk. And therefore, without, from a cautious perspective, cautioning in between from dairy to parv, uh, we can't call it a parv 
product, therefore it would be listed as a dairy equipment, which has its own unique halachas in Shulchan Aruch. For example, if something has dairy equipment, uh, you could not eat that together with a meat meal. You couldn't mix that that soy milk that's dairy equipment into your chalant, but you could eat it directly afterwards. Another caveat is for those that come from Chassidisha background, Chassidisha Pais can hold that Chal of Stam, would be really chal of treif and not kosher, and therefore the equipment that it's run on would be rendered treif according to those poskim, and therefore even this is not just a dairy equipment product, but this is really a treif equipment product rendering the product treif as well. So again, if someone's doing it from a chal Yisrael perspective, you have to know why your makman the chal Yisrael is in mishum chumro, like Ramesha brings down Bal Nefesh Yachmir, or is it because they come from a background, which changes the whole ball game? Because then, because then you're being chaych that it might not be kosher. Correct. Now, let's say, I'm not sure you answered this in your last answer. So let's say the, the, dairy, the, the ingredient panel says nothing about milk. Nothing. And it says an OUD on it. Can you enlighten us? What the, why, what, why is it an OUD? Based on what you just told us, does that, uh, can you just fill in the gaps here for me or for our, for our audience? When it's when I have no again when I have no, on the, in the ingredient panel I see no dairy doesn't say anything and I have an OUD, what does that mean? What does that tell us? What so can that mean? An OUD should mean that the product is dairy. Now there are times that companies might actually product might not be strictly dairy, might be dairy equipment, but without contacting our offices, there's no way to know from looking at the ingredient panel if it's really dairy or dairy equipment. Um, again, legally, I mentioned there's additives such as the casein, which is not considered dairy, which might be in there. Also, legally, according to FDA regulations, if you have a dairy component inside of a flavor, it's not required to be listed uh, on the label as being dairy. So just say natural and or artificial flavors. However, since it's something which is giving off a flavor, it's a vidalataima. There's something which is a vidalataima is not bottle. It's not nullified in the mixture. And therefore, even, even if it's a very small percentage of it, correct. And therefore, since you might have dairy in there, that makes that entire product dairy as well. So, really, when when people say, "Well, it just means kalim," it just means uh, whatever, it's much more complicated than that. Without verifying from the hashgacha that gives the certification of that product, there's no way to know. Uh-huh. Okay, so I think this is very important for for people who will hear this, and hopefully, it will it will get out that the assumptions that everybody makes and i think a lot of it comes from oreo cookies actually because oreo cookies has this wonderful reputation of only being kalim and it's not you know it's not really dairy and it says oud and without without going into oreos unless you want to but there's a lot of misinformation and i and i always tell people when they ask me i always you know try to tell them if it says ou oud excuse me if it says oud really any ashkacha if it says, you know, whatever it might be, okay, you know, whatever it might be, that I believe the star K has star D. So whatever it might be, if they're telling you it's dairy, it's dairy. You know, I'm not here to, we're not here to be smarter than everybody else. Assume that it's dairy with all the things that come with it and plan accordingly. So that's that's very important. But again, you know, you can contact our offices. We'll be glad to share with you some of the secrets of the trade so that the next time you're on the road and you're hungry for some delectable yummies, uh, there might be some that you could have if you're Fleishik or Makhbun on Chal Yisrael. That's good to know. Well, th- this is the summer traveling season and people are going everywhere. It's funny you even mentioned Oreo cookies. That is our, probably our number one most popular question that we get on a daily basis. Probably get about a dozen questions a day just about Oreo cookies. So, at this present time, the Oreos original, Oreos original double stuff, Oreos original mega stuff, and Oreo original mini 
our dairy equipment. That means that they could be, as we just discussed before, could be eaten after meat, but not together with meat. The other Oreos, the greens, the mints, the yellows, the pumpkin spices, those all are considerably, and even the thins are dairy. That's good to know. It's important for uh, for Kalei Yisrael to know where their Oreo cookies are standing. Are there any more uh, halachas or any uh, summer traveling or traveling caveats that you can share with us that might be of interest to our community? So the truth of the matter is that there's a lot, you know, maybe before we recorded tonight, we should have, you know, done a survey, find out what are the most pressing travel questions that are out there. But we're really getting to travel season now where people are on the road. They want to know what the story is. Uh, There's a few things to remember. One is that if you are having a barbecue someplace, one is the question is, can you kosher a barbecue grill if you're out on the road, there are ways to kosher it. I'm sure the VODs offices could give advice for that. It's probably beyond the scope of this today's conversation. this conversation exactly how to we, do that. We actually don't recommend people koshering on the road uh, barbecues if they're not familiar with, with the intricacies of koshering. And I have uh, actually said in the past, I gave a shear before Pesach, uh, I told people that the tremendous component of koshering is understanding what koshering actually accomplishes and, and when you're kashering, what are you doing? And if you understand what you're doing, then you'll understand really the, the, the what kashering is all about. And most people, I think, are not in tune with the intricacies of what exactly the what's happening halakhically when you're when you when you're kashering something. So, I don't recommend people kasher a grill on the road if you're like at some rest stop on the 80 and you want to do your hot dogs. I think go into Seasons Wasserman's if you live in Kew Gardens where I do uh, go to Rosenblum's. By the uh, you know what do they call it throwaway throwaway disposable grill disposable grill, grill and, and just go with there. I mean yeah. that's you know also available at any local Walmart if you're on the road someplace they'll have right. those disposable grills they also have these little portable tabletop uh, uh, tabletop you know propane grills that have like a little canister it's very popular you know when I was a counselor in camp you know yeah. instead of having to deal with colds you brought the little canister and your barbecue was up and ready to go every ca- every counselor's nightmare. One thing to keep in mind though is. A, those grates need to be titled. B, some people think that they can just go ahead and grill fish on the same grates. Depending on the paisic that you ask, a lot of times you need to make sure you have separate grates for fish and for the meat as well. Yeah, that's that's something which uh, people people maybe don't think about it, especially when you. Yeah, that's absolutely 100% true. Another thing to be aware of is also issues of basosh and asalamin ayin when meat is left unattended. If you're out in a park someplace with other people around, uh, you need to make sure someone's by the grill. You can't just leave the steaks on the grill and run away without someone from being there. That has no manus because you could run into issues of basosh and asalamin ayin meat that was not was no longer you know watched and therefore you could um, could considerably be an issue as well. I actually I actually heard a story this week, a horrifying story. Someone was in an amusement park, and they were uh, they witnessed a couple who were evidently it wasn't evidently I mean it was they were very very religious looking that had bought a pretzel from the pretzel stand in the in the amusement park, and this person went over to the other guy and said, what, "What's going on?" And he said, "Well, I saw the box. They're kosher pretzels." So can you tell us uh, from you know? Can you explain to us if that? something which is okay not okay and if it is why it is and if it's not why it's not so 
if you can verify something's coming out of the box, that definitely helps. But again, the issue that we have over here is that the pretzels are then baked. As I mentioned before, if the equipment that is baked on is not kosher, then obviously the pretzel becomes rendered not kosher as well. So without knowing the history of where the pretzel is, you can run into issues or where the machine's been, or where the machine's been as well. You can run into issues there as well. So I think I think people uh, need to understand that when you're going on the road, or really wherever you are, the process is just as important as the product. And you know, Baruch Hashem, the OU, and all the other conversations have done a great job of making sure that the products are available, but making sure that they're processed and and baked or whatever it is, bringing it to the, bringing it to the table ready. That's just as, if not more important, than making sure that the actual product is kosher. So uh, I would just add to what you've been telling us about all these wonderful ideas when we're traveling is that uh, amusement parks or, or people go to stadiums, people go to all sorts of venues, you know, the, the, the best thing is to look for, you know, the, the recommended ashkacha and to purchase your food there. Correct. I, you know, not to be all doom and gloom that, like, you know, everything's going to be an issue. We, li- we are very fortunate to live in a day and age where there are so many kosher packaged products available. Uh, for example, I often have to travel on behalf of the OU to different facilities that are not necessarily located in a major metropolitan area. And I very rarely pack food with me. You can walk into any Kroger, Safeway, or Walmart, and you'll be astounded at the amount of kosher products that they have on the shelf. A lot of times when I'm on the road, I probably will pack way more calories than I would normally at home, whether it's the breakfast at the hotel, which we could, we didn't fully discuss. Perhaps if we have time later, we can go back to that. But even in the supermarket, to me, it's kind of like part of the fun is going to the supermarket, seeing what I can find. And I could walk out of there with hummus and guacamole and, you know, fake uh, par of bacon and, you know, you know the soy salamis. The soys are, if you like the flavor, it's they're wonderful yeah, things high, with high bread. Sodium, high sodium, high calorie. Correct. You know, but you can walk out with tuna fish and you know, bread just about anywhere in the United States. So you really, and then the freezer section has things. So really, um, there are so many things that are available in sealed packages with hashkocha that it's not as hard as you think. You don't have to load up your car or your suitcase with you know every last item now there are things that are hard to get cheeses tend to be a little bit harder especially and meats tend to be harder although sometimes you might be able to find those as well but you know i wouldn't recommend you know hoping for the best over there you really should pay you know something like that should be planned in advance but there is a lot that's out there and it's a question of being able to find it even now as the from community has grown there's a lot of services out there that provide uh kosher experiences or kosher food or products in a lot of out-of-the-way uh, places. So, you know, without, you know, naming any in particular, there are different, you know, abilities to go to places that may not have been so from accessible previously, and now you can go and be able to find not only kosher food, but perhaps even minyanum as well in the middle of, you know, Utah. You said you wanted to get back to breakfast. I was, I'm curious what you meant by that. So we had touched on the breakfast before. We had kind of left off just with the milk, you know, what's the story with the milk. But there's so many other things. The question is, what about the cereals we, you had asked? You know, what's the story with the bagels, the pastries? So it really depends on the hotel. Some hotels will do their own baking, and then basically everything's out. A lot of hotels, especially if you're going to the middle-of-the-road places, you know, a Hampton Inn-type place, the Homewood Suites, the Comfort Inns, a lot of those places, what they do is they open up a package of bagels and they put it out for people to eat. They open up a package of cereal and they put that out for people to eat. What you need to do in that type of situation is it may be a little awkward, mm-hmm. but go to the kitchen, 
or the pantry that behind say you know I'm a kosher observer I'm kosher observant uh, in order for me to eat the food I need to be able just to check to verify the packaging that came from the if I look at it and usually they're more than gracious to take out the packaging and you can see exactly where the bagels came from and look for Ashkocha you can see where the cereal came from to make sure that there's Ashkocha on that a lot of times uh, believe it or not even the hard-boiled eggs that they have out are OU certified kosher Pesach Bish Yisrael hard-boiled eggs that comes out of a big uh, case what? yeah uh, Cargill produces a lot of them as well as Cisco has some and literally it comes with a and they don't and they don't heat them up they don't heat them up they're taken out they're basically in a citric acid solution they basically just take the eggs out and put them in a bowl for people to uh, enjoy wow that is I never I never knew that that's that's amazing there's also sometimes the baked goods will come from let's say the pastries will also come from a package that will have ashkoch on it I was actually at a facility. I was at a hotel once where it was an OU certified company, but there's no Ashkach on the package. So, due to the fact that I have an inside scoop, I immediately called up the rabbinic coordinator for that company. I said, "We got to do something because they're sending out their donuts and their uh, cinnamon buns without Ashkach." And it's like, "Oh, you're right. We got to work on that." So, um, but I mean, it was acceptable. But only I was able to ascertain that because, because I was able to go through the back end. Right. But for the average consumer out there, you would have no idea. So you need to make sure, don't make any assumptions. Again, you need to check for the hash So let, let me well. just clarify about the bagels. You're yeah. saying the bagels are the same thing as the eggs, the same thing as the pastries, that the bagels will come in a box and they'll just, you know, whoever is on staff will just take it out and put it out and you can just enjoy it. Correct. But you have to see what goes on. Every hotel is going to be different. A lot of hotels will do that. Some hotels, they decide that people like it toasted so or somewhat toasted, so they'll stick it in the oven beforehand. That could also be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, the question that we get a lot of times is a lot of these hotels have a lot of these hotels have these waffle makers where there's like a waffle iron that's attached to the counter, and then there's usually a big dispenser of, of waffle batter. And the question always comes up, can you use that? So the problem is like this. Even though a lot of times they say that this is a kosher waffle batter, you have no idea what's actually inside that container because it's a stainless steel canister, which they refill, so you have no idea what they refilled it with. Even if they came out, and it didn't come out of a canister, but it came out of, let's say, a box that was, had a hashkoch, let's say, no you on it, or somehow the Vada Queens got involved with, you know, pancake mixes, and you now find the VHQ <laughs> on, uh, on the pancake mix. You still have other problems with the waffle maker because they also give you oils to spray on it to make sure it doesn't stick. Those oils are very kosher sensitive and could considerably be a problem. Uh, additionally, there are some postcom that hold that a waffle might be considered uh, bishel because it's basically cooked and then you run the problems on the line on that waffle maker of it being a case of of bishal akum which would also be a problem then would render that again those that equipment not kosher as well right so just to clarify is we know that certain foods uh, fall under the parameters of bishal yisrael in other words they need to be cooked by a jew certain of them don't and you're saying waffles may be in the category of needing to be cooked by a jew and since Clearly, non-Jews use this machine during the year or when you're not there or even if you are there, so that may render the machine not kosher. Or if they cook it for you, it might render it not kosher. So you're in a, you're in a position where you're not going to be able to eat those waffles. So better to stay away. So, yeah, we don't recommend those waffle makers uh-huh. is the bottom line. That's interesting that the, uh, the, I guess the motels are offering more and more services, hotels more and more different exotic ways of serving breakfast to their customers. Not just the typical put out the apples, the cereal, and the, you know. Again, they're looking for any way to 
gain customers and to gain customer loyalty. So a lot of these places now advertise the hot cooked breakfast, whether it's a cook to order. But, you know, obviously, as soon as anything gets cooked and anything gets hot uh, from a kosher consumer perspective, it gets much more complicated. Which which is a great segue to the, the ultimate hot thing, which is coffee. So let me just set it up and I'll, and I'll let you talk. So we, we let's let's there's there's a lot of ways we can go with this, but there's coffee on the road, coffee locally on, in a Seven Eleven, coffee in a Dunkin' Donuts that doesn't have Ashkacha, coffee in a hotel, coffee on a in, in a gas station on the side of the road, coffee in a McDonald's if you're let's say driving on uh, on, on wherever it is, uh, you know, and there's a rest stop, ninety five going up to Connecticut, I believe has a McDonald's over there. I think they have a Starbucks too now, but enlighten us about coffee and, and as much as you can in the next couple of minutes. As, uh, it's getting late, but yeah, coffee is one of those that you know is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. You know, whether they're in yeshiva or in college, and it was all those late nights. You know, that they just kept on pounding the coffee. It's one of those things that you or know, you, or you're working in the vine, you need to get through the day. <laughs> it's one of those things that people just you know they need that coffee to you know get through. So it's a very important beverage to a lot of people. So. In theory, from a halachic perspective, a plain black coffee should be acceptable from any place. As a matter of fact, at one point in time, Rebelski and Rebshachta, the Paiskometer OU, wrote a tshuva that you could, that a mashkech that's on the road could even walk into McDonald's and order a plain black coffee. They felt there wasn't even an issue of Marasayan because they're getting the coffee and a lot of people going for other things as well. That leaving aside the Marasayan, the question is what about, you know, for many of these coffee shops? So the prevailing theory always was that if it's a plain black coffee, you are fine, but coffees have evolved like everything else has. So some coffees are no longer coffees. They are now artisanal beverages that have all sorts of wacky things inside of them. And obviously, once you start to get a little wacky, the wackiness needs to have ashkoch on it. The other issue that's come up is with Starbucks. And this is a whole big, you know, hack, as they say. I know there's someone even told me there's a website called kosherstarbucks.com, which I guess they're trying to keep track of what's going on in the Starbucks. But again, I'm only focused on the plain black coffees that has different, you know, Names, it might be espresso or Americano, provided it's just the coffee, it's just the coffee. But no matter, you know, how potent it might be or the name that it has. However, Starbucks started to make meat sandwiches in a lot of their locations, the full-service locations, and they have a proprietary dishwashing method where that though that equipment that has the meat sandwiches on it gets washed with the, the utensils with the coffee correct with the utensils with the coffee makers and and therefore there's there might be a transfer of taste there might be a nice and tom and there could conceivably be an issue then with the coffee that's made in those coffee makers so because of this uh, this is one of the last things that Belsky's that's how dealt with before his material uh, he felt that it's better not to go to a regular Starbucks. However, a Starbucks kiosk that you might find at the airport service station along the road that does not that's not full service, doesn't have those meat sandwiches, those would be fine. And getting coffee from, you know, seven eleven and other places also in theory would be fine as well. Now, just to clarify, those meat sandwiches, there are two types of meat sandwiches that I understand. There's meat sandwiches that come packaged, pre packaged to Starbucks, and you have the meat sandwiches that are being produced on site. My assumption is that what you're talking about is when it's produced on site, that's where it's problematic. Is that correct? I believe so, but I have to check. I'm not I'm not such a bucky when it comes to the Hilch Starbucks sandwiches. Wait, I'm not sure you had been at the OU yet, but about ten years ago when this whole brouhaha started over Starbucks, it was a big brouhaha and it was people got really, really emotional about it because you know, there are Starbucks people and Dunkin' Donuts people and anybody who really uh, is 
you know, has a little bit of a good taste of Dunkin' Donuts, of course. But okay, we're not going to get into that. But all joking aside, it really took the, the world by storm because uh, Starbucks... Starbucks took the world by storm, and a lot of a lot of from from people that really need their coffee and they need their Starbucks. And they took a ninety nine cent of coffee and figured out a way to charge you five dollars for it. Yeah, well, that's brilliant, and people pay it in a regular Seven Eleven. So, am I hearing from you that a regular Seven Eleven on the road somewhere I could just get a black coffee? Correct. So, when you're talking about the wackiness, can you just expand on that a little bit? Where is that, or where would I where would I have to worry about that? That would be anything that would be a flavor. A lot of times, there's two types of ways that they differentiate coffees now. It's either through the roast or blends. I'll say a breakfast blend, a Colombian, Sumatran, Javan, because all sorts of exotic names. Those are just the way either the coffee is roasted, where the coffee bean comes from, or the mixture of beans. Again, those are still plain black coffees. When they start to have pumpkin spice, French vanilla, hazelnut, those are all flavors that are added. And like anything else that's flavored, those could be kosher sensitive and we'll need hashkacha. And we couldn't recommend buying one of those from a non-certified establishment. Okay, so basically, and iced coffee? That would be the same if it's plain? Iced coffee, in theory, would be the same thing as well. And now what's also popular is the cold brew coffees, which is basically just coffee beans that are soaked in water. And sometimes they are injected with nitrogen as well, but the nitrogen would be acceptable. wouldn't be a cautious issue. What about tea and iced tea? So also a plain tea would be acceptable for any source or any fully herbal tea, meaning it's just the grasses or the leaves from the plant will be fine. But a lot of these herbal teas now have flavors added to them as well. If you take a look at the back, they may have the you know the lemongrass in it. It may have the hibiscus and the uh, cherry blossoms, but also will have some flavors added. That, again, will be a cautious concern. But if it's, again, a plain unflavored tea, uh, that would be good as well. Great. I think we touched on a lot of things tonight, and uh, the hour is late. We want to get this out uh, for coming up on the holiday weekend, so I want to take this opportunity on behalf of the VOD, myself, and really Klai Yisrael, who will be listening to this, that I think we, we people really gain a lot from listening to this. Thank you for sharing with us your vast knowledge, experience, and the stories that you've had. And if there's anything else you'd like to add, in closing, we'd, uh, we'd love to hear it. No, just uh, It's my pleasure to be here this evening to uh, record with you and to address some of the uh, pressing shyness that come from Kaleisol this time of year. But the one piece of advice that I would end off with is that there's no such thing as a stupid question. If someone's not sure about the cash or something, they should pick up the phone, they should call the Vod, they should call the Rav, and ask the Shiloh because there's nothing wrong with that. Great. So um, our number is 718-520-9060. Again, 718-520-9060. If you want, you can send an email to our Vod, info at queensvod.org. Again, info at queensvod.org. Of course, all of our information is at queensvod.org. And if somebody wants to reach you at the OU, how would they get to you, Rabbi? Uh, the best thing to do is to call our main hotline number. That's 212-613-8241. That's our consumer hotline. Again, 212-613-8241. Or they can email us at kosherq, like as in question, at ou.org. Or they could send us a snail mail right to us, the Orthodox Union, 11 Broadway, New York, oh, New York. What's that? Okay. 1004. <laughs> can ask the some of the senior citizens. <laughs> they might know. If a person wants to um, send an email... Again, please uh, say that again. An email again would be kosherq, the letter Q as in question, at ou.org. And what's the turnaround usually on that? Uh, how fast can we... Uh... Usually, uh, 
<laughs> we're open, so that's the emails are answered between on Monday through Fridays, and the turnaround will be basically about one to two business days. Uh-huh. So let's say a person's in a he's in a pickle, if, and he if, needs if to... you're in a pickle, I would say to eat it and then you get out. Mm-hmm. But um, if you can't do that, uh, the best thing is to call our hotline during normal business hours. If not, uh, I'm sure Ray Schwartz will be glad to answer questions at three o'clock in the morning. Or your local Orthodox rabbi. Thank you again, and good evening to all. Bye bye.